Good evening. Hi. <laughs> I, uh, I rolled my ankle, so I get to sit while I preach, which is actually the traditional position for a teacher in, uh, during the time of Jesus, so it seems appropriate. Uh, if you were here for the Daniel series, the, the finale, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, I made a comment or a section in there. We talked about uh, Revelation 12 and some of those things. So if you were there for that, how many of you were here for that? Yeah, so then I will say to you, Merry Christmas, because that's what potentially could be. This potentially could be the birth of Jesus on September the 11th. So anyway, just thought I would go ahead and say that. I know um, listening to the sermon last week, uh, I'm excited to spend the time that we're going to spend in Galatians. Um, take us all the way up to Advent. I love Galatians. It's one of the books that I ended up you know, studying uh, first with uh, the uh, pastor that mentored me when I was in junior high. We went through Galatians, and uh, it was funny. He's, he was in his 80s, and we met with another gentleman who had been an elder in a different church. He was in his 90s. And so he called that pastor young man. I thought that was pretty fun. And I was, you know, 13 or 14. And I remember reading through Galatians with these men and hearing them go back and forth and just hearing the passion that they had for the gospel. It was just, you could, you could hear the fire that was, but even though they were in their 80s and 90s, it was still fresh. It was still new. And so you're reading through Galatians. So I always remember that when we come back to to this book, it is a, a special letter, for sure. And 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 listening to last week's uh, sermon, it's uh, it's it's going to be, I think, impactful for all of us. It's going to be something for us to really settle into, especially as we're concentrating on this this idea of of discipleship, of bringing the gospel into all the different areas of our life. I think Galatians is going to play a pivotal role in helping us to really understand how those pieces fit and how to recognize the true gospel. And that's definitely something we're going to be looking at um, this evening. One of the cool things about Galatians is, you know, as we read through, and tonight we're going to definitely see it, there's a lot of narrative in this letter. There's a lot of stories I think we've mentioned it many times. But stories, it's something that resonates with us. And Paul uses stories from his own life to really highlight some of the truths. I went back through again, excuse me, even before I came back up. But the the uh, narrative that you see in here is most of what we're going to go over. There's really only a couple of verses that aren't part of the story where Paul pretty much just states his main idea and he goes into these stories. And so one reason I bring it up is I'm going I'm to break a bunch of rules tonight with the sermon. So here's the first one. Here's part of an application in the introduction. I think this is great for us to see an example of. Because we can take elements of the gospel and the Romans road, and these are not bad things. 
But if we can take the gospel and show how it is in our life, part of our story, how we came to know who Jesus is, how we came to grow in Christ, these pivotal moments in our life where we could see the Lord at work, that's when the gospel becomes more than just doctrine. That's where it truly becomes our life, our livelihood in Christ. And so Paul is a great example of that in our pastors tonight. So we're going to talk about the first part, and then he tells a two-part story. And we're going to walk through that story together. Um, So before we do that, I would love to pray before we get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for our time tonight. God, thank you for the time that we get to spend in your word. Thank you that we all have your word. We can hold it in our hands. Thank you, Lord, that as we look into the letter to the Galatians, Lord, we can think back on all the generations that have been impacted by this letter, by the testimony of Paul, by the teaching that's found here. Lord, I pray that you would quicken our hearts and soften, Lord, our spirits, that we might see, Lord, truth contained in your word and be ready and willing to change our hearts and minds in order to be more aligned with you, your will, with your heart, Lord, that we might be able to live out the true gospel. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting in chapter one. I I don't have a lot of slides today, so you're going to have to do some work. If you haven't brought your Bible, there should be a Bible right before you, in the little slot down there. And uh, I'm going to name off some passages throughout the sermon, so I'd like to hear the pages turn. That's a sound I love to hear. We don't hear it very much anymore. If you want to use your, your, fancy, your fancy phone Bibles, that's fine too, I guess. That's okay. Uh, but we're actually going to take a, a verse before the passage that we're going to be in tonight. So look at Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 10. We are going to start there. It sort of, sort of leads us into this. Verse 10 says, this is Paul speaking, of course. says, for am I now uh, seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And the reason why that's important is Paul is setting up this, this structure here where it's either of man or it's of God. And so this is really the question that's going to launch into Paul's statement and then story that he's going to tell, two-part story. And so as we look at verse 11, he sort of answers his own question, probably because he's writing a letter and they're not able to respond. So he answers his own question in the letter. Look at verse 11 here. It says, for I would have you know, brothers. Let's stop there. Didn't get very far. Think about this. Paul is going to already has, but is going to lay down some rebukes, and he's going to uh, even use some harsh, harsher language later on. But what does he still call them here? Brothers, right? Brothers and sisters. He still calls them that. This is contending for the faith. He is walking with this body uh, via the letter, but still, he is still presenting this. It's not as though he is talking with those who are 
those he regards as outside the faith. Even, even for those who are struggling, who are having issues, I'll put it in quotes, they're still our brothers and sisters. We still contend with them, right? So anyway. Uh, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's main point. And he wants to really make sure they understand that the gospel that he taught, the gospel that he had uh, brought to all the different places where he had taught, where he had planted churches, this gospel, he did not receive it from any human being. He's not part of a tradition where he just received a doctrine and takes it and moves forward with this, not from man. This gospel is from God. And he actually makes it real specific. He says, through a revelation of Jesus Christ, which is even more specific, right? So here Paul is making a really huge statement, right? a really important principle. The true gospel does not come from man. And for a lot of us, we'd say like, yes, of course, okay, and we'd nod our heads. Yes, all, all right, yes, I agree with that. But as Paul tells the story, we're going to start to see how that actually relates to maybe some of the mentalities that we have, that we hold on to, right? But we could ask the question, what is this gospel from man? What is that? And while Paul may have had a real specific thing in mind, and he's going to get into that later in Galatians, I think there's a general sort of thing we can pull out of Scripture. There's a couple of, of passages we're going to go to. Um, you can just write them down. You don't have to go and, and read them. We're just going to talk about them here real quick. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 is where we kind of first see this improper gospel of man, of humans. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This is after the temptation of the serpent to Eve. And Eve says that she saw the fruit and it looked good to eat. This is, it sounds like a throwaway line, but, but really what this is, this is a human being who sees something. God has said no, but she looks at it and says, this is good to eat. To her, it looked good, right? Now, I think we all know what gospel means. It means the good news. For Eve, at that moment, she convinced herself that this thing was good, even though God said it was not. So there we see a contrast between gospel of God, the good news of God, and the good news of man, right? Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7 says, don't be wise in your own estimation. And instead, it encourages uh, the reader to uh, instead fear the Lord. So our own estimation, how we can evaluate, how we can look at things, how we can measure, how, how do we see it? This is really closely aligned with Genesis 3. Eve evaluated and decided that it was good. Proverbs gives a more general statement, just you should not trust in your own estimation. Now why is that? Semi-rhetorical, you don't have to engage in a conversation with me, but the, but the idea is, is that our estimation is really only based on what we can observe, what we can see, experiences that we had, or experiences that we hear, it's very limited. 
even when we're making decisions. How, how many of you agonize over some of the uh, choices that are brought before you, whether it's a job, whether it's buying a new blender, whether it's uh, you know going over Yelp reviews to figure out where to have brunch. I mean, whatever it is, how many, how many of you just kind of agonize over some things? Is this the right one? Yeah, I think a lot of us kind of do. Two hands, all right, you win. Um, or do you? Um, the idea is, is that our own estimation is very limited, right? And it's, and it's skewed, and it's skewed from our own perspective. We can only see what we can see from, from where we sit, from where we stand. We cannot see all things. And so the Lord says, don't trust in your own estimation, right? Fear the Lord instead. Isaiah chapter five uh, gives a warning and says, beware you who think you're wise. Isaiah five twenty one. beware if you think you're wise. It's going along the same lines. But it's that same idea. You might think you're wise, but do you know the end of all things? No, these, these are all leading us towards that gospel of man. First John chapter two, and I'm actually gonna turn there and I'm gonna read it. John chapter two, verse 16. I'm gonna start in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, you see the contrast. There is the world and there's God, right? So we got two choices there. For all that is in the world, and here we go, here's the statements. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And there we have it kind of broken out. But a lot of times when we look at the world, we sort of divide it out into those things. These are the sort of things that again, just like Eve, we can see that these might be good things. We get swept away. There's, it's the, the lust of the eyes, the desires of the flesh. These different things, they can draw us away. And if we are trusting in our own estimation, we might actually think these things are good or appropriate or correct or, as Isaiah would say, you might think they're wise. But again, they're not. And there's that contrast there between what God says that we should look for and what we might think we're looking for. So when you come down to it, it's kind of discouraging. Can we trust ourselves? Some of us trust our spouse. They might have a different perspective. Can we trust our spouse? Not ultimately. And I'm not trying to make you question everything, right? Oh, oh my gosh, we walk out of, walk out of service. I just don't know what to do. But the whole point is, is that when we really stop to think about it, how much wisdom do we really have? What kind of perspective do we really have? And for a lot of us, we, we've heard these things before. We understand that. Maybe it's a good encouragement for us. But what Paul is telling the Galatians, it's not telling the Galatians something that would have been easy for them to have figured out. It wasn't blatant. They had been almost wooed away from the true gospel by something. So for us, we might read through Galatians and say, well, I wouldn't be taken in by that. We have to ask the question, what is it then? What, what is it that could pull us away from that true gospel? What is it that might lead us to follow a gospel of man rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the actual true gospel? What are those things? So we'll look at that here in a second. To give a actual um, positive spin, 
we do have something else that differentiates. John chapter one, verse one, and this is gonna lead us right into Paul's story. John chapter one, verses one through four. You might think, why in the world are we here? Just hang on. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. I'll tag on verse five here. The light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. Why did we just read that passage? That seems off the wall. But what this really is, this is showing us, again, this contrast. All right, we talked about gospel man. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word, is altogether separate from creation, right? The word, who, who God is, he is completely separated out. The first three verses here in John chapter one tell us that we have a God who supersedes all things in creation, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. Then it says all things were made through him and by him, right? This is something that we really need to hone in on because what Paul is going to walk us through is something that is beyond what most humans would understand. All right, the gospel that we follow has not just no human origin, but the origin of this good news is even more grand than that. Because if it comes from Jesus Christ, it is eternal, which means it is separated out from creation. And this gospel all of a sudden turns from being a good way to live to something way bigger. All right, let's go back to Galatians here. Galatians chapter one, looking at verse uh, 13, Paul starts his story, right? So he's, he's just talked about, he said, I did not receive a gospel from man, but I received it from Jesus Christ through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. For you have heard my former life in Judaism. So he starts here with, what was his life like before? What was his life like before he came to know what the gospel was, before that revelation of Jesus? Excuse me. He says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. A few key things here. No one could have questioned Paul's adherence to Judaism. No one would have questioned his zeal. No one would have questioned the fact that he was all in. He was so zealous to the point where he would persecute those outside of Judaism, specifically the church. And not only that, he said that he was extremely zealous. Zealous for the uh, traditions of his fathers. Now, traditions of his fathers, what specifically is that? That would be something handed down by men, right? Very specifically saying this is what he was. He was definitely following teaching by 
humans. He's following the traditions of his fathers. Verse 15, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach uh, preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. This statement that he makes here, when he was called, he said the one who set him apart before he was born. This is an allusion back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah says that when he was in his mother's womb, he was essentially set apart for this ministry that he would have. And Paul says the same thing, that he was set apart even from the time that he was in his mother's womb. Which is interesting because even his calling did not come from man. It came from God. There's some very specific lines being drawn here. Paul is saying this, this is beyond just him, right? Look at verse 17. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. And he also, when he received this, he did not go to consult anyone. This is really important, actually. So when he was, when he was delivered this message, and, I, and I'd ask you this, when did Paul receive this message? When did he receive this revelation of Jesus? Anyone know? He was on the road to Damascus. He actually had a revelation of Jesus at that point. That was his salvation story. Now, if you read through that story, we're not going to read through all of the details. It's found in Acts chapter 9. Jesus didn't really give him much of a choice. Right? Jesus shows up, by the way, when he was on his way to Damascus, to expand persecution. That was the point of his business trip, was to go and to extend persecution. When he was on his way, Jesus stopped him and essentially says, well, says, who are you? And he says, I'm, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. And he gives this little line in there. And he, he tells us when he's telling the story to, I think it was to Felix. And he says, Jesus told him it's hard to kick against the goads. And so what we're presented with there is that God had been gnawing at him over this thing. Kicking against the goad. You know what a goad is? It's what you, you do to, you, you hit an ox with it to get a stubborn ox to move. It's a, a pretty hefty little thing there to get some cooperation. And Jesus said it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? Jesus had been pulling him, had been drawing him to himself, and when Saul of Tarsus saw Jesus, he uh, there was no choice there. He said, "Yes, I, yeah, I'll do it." Right. So he he uh, he lost his sight. He went to Ananias, and Ananias healed him. He did, but he didn't consult anyone. He did not go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to say, "Hey, apostles, uh, so I saw Jesus. Uh, what am I supposed to do now?" So there was something that Paul had received to where he was confident. He, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had called him and said, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so then he proceeds to do that. What's interesting is, and we'll see this here, verse, uh, the rest of verse 17. He said, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, 
but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Went out to Arabia. You know what's in Arabia? Nothing. He went out to, <laughs> he went out to a wilderness. He went out to the desert. He, he went out there. Now, we learn in the next verse, verse 18, it says, after three years, I went back up to Jerusalem. So he's, he's gone for three years. What do you think he's doing for three years? What do you think he's doing? He's learning. The other apostles had the benefit of being with Jesus for three years, right? Paul has the benefit of being with Jesus for three years. Now the thought is, is that he already had this high level in Judaism. He already was a Pharisee of a high ranking. He already knew the traditions. He knew uh, all the scripture. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the tradition. He knew all those things. So what do you do for three years? He unlearns all of those things and sees what the truth is, is in light of who Jesus is. There are some who think that for three years, Jesus himself is the one who leads and guides him in this teaching, which I wouldn't put it past Jesus. Seems to work out, right? Either way, whatever that looked like, after those three years, looking at verse 18, it says, after the three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. Now, what is this? This, this story is actually recorded in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we see that Saul of Tarsus, um, Paul, makes his way to Jerusalem after a time. Now, it doesn't say in here it took three years, went through that, but Paul is giving us more details in, in Galatians. But looking at verse 26, it says, And when he came to Jerusalem, he tempted to join the disciples. Look at this. It says, They were all afraid of him. I'm in Acts chapter 9. Verse 26, it said they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. And who was it that comes by? It's Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And we find out in Galatians, specifically to Cephas. And declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So he shares his story. Right? But he's not brought out publicly. He doesn't meet all of the apostles. He doesn't, he's, not, he's not brought in in that way. So essentially he goes there, and if you read, he, he continues to go and to preach and is eventually just kicked out of the city. In a pretty exciting way, I think that's when he rides his, uh, his basket, rides his uh, basket out of the city um, to escape. And then where does he go? No, oh, he leaves and he goes to Tarsus. Look at verse uh, 19. We'll continue here. He says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the, brother, uh, the Lord's brother, uh, and what I'm writing you before God, I do not lie. Now here's, we'll pause there for a second too. So how many apostles did he, did he talk to according to Galatians? Talk to two, right? According to the law, how many witnesses do you need to verify a thing? Two or three. So he's well within that. Even though, you know, we're, we're, talk, we're not talking about those things. It's, the Lord's still faithful to work in those same patterns, right? So anyway. So he meets with both of them. Uh, verse 20, we read verse 21. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith 
he once tried to destroy. I think verse 24, we, we read over it too quickly. It says, and they glorified God because of me. So here's that scenario. They hear, they hear the story. The Paul, so he's confirmed that, you know, Peter and, and, and James say, okay, he's, he's okay. That's after three years, by the way, okay. So th- after three years of going all through these things, he, he meets Peter, he meets James. They say, okay, he's, he's, he's an okay guy. He has to flee. And all you have left is basically a story. And the story is, is that someone who persecuted us is now preaching Christ. And what does it do? It causes the churches to glorify God. They don't know him. They haven't met him, but they hear the story and they glorify God. I know, it it seems like a throwaway thing, but how awesome is that? That Paul's reputation, just that story of, of the kind of man that he was and through his salvation, the churches are being encouraged. They're growing. Now, of course, wherever Paul goes, I'm sure he tells his testimony and people start to figure out who he is as he goes on his journey. But from here, he, he actually does go on his journey from there. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is the second half of the story. Um, in the second half of the story, it starts up again. It says, then after 14 years. So we'll pause there for a second. So he leaves. And where does he go? Everywhere. This is where he goes and starts his missionary journey. He's for 14 years. He is ministering, preaching the gospel, planting churches. He is doing all of these different things. Have any of you done anything for 14 years? Some of us could say, yeah, I've, I've been in this certain field, I've done this certain thing. What sort of expertise do you sort of have after 14 years? You start to become, what well, they say, it's 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours of a thing makes you a master of that thing. Do you think Paul put in his 10,000 hours? I definitely think he did. If you read through Acts, he definitely put in his 10,000 hours plus. So after 14 years, you have to add the other three, the three of training. So 17 years he's been doing this thing. Chapter two, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. So if you read through Acts, finally get to where he's got Titus or you read through, that, that's how far advanced he is in his, in his journeys. Titus comes with him. He says, I went up because of a revelation that, set, that was set before me, uh, though privately before those who seemed influential. This is most likely the Jerusalem Council. So if you're still following along, hopefully you are, Acts, let's just move to chapter 15. This is where we are now. Acts chapter 15. All right. And in Acts, we get all the story. He goes to Tarsus. He serves there for a long time. And then he's called, right, with Barnabas. And they go on their journey and they do the thing. But Paul's been in ministry. He's now, we would say probably he's a vet- veteran. He's a veteran preacher. Right? He, he knows what he's doing. But he goes to the Jerusalem Council. So keep, keep that spot there in, in Acts 15. I'm going to go ahead and read this in chapter 2, and then we're going to go back to, to Acts, okay? 
He says, I went up again because of the revelation that he received. He said, though he went privately to those who seemed influential. Who's he talking? He's talking about the apostles. So even there, he's trying to not puff it up who he went and talked to. It says that the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So think about that. For 17 years, so three years you're in training, 14 years you're in ministry. Then he finally goes to the apostles because he has this, this revelation that he should do so. He shows up there and basically he shares, hey, this is the gospel that I'm preaching. You know, just to make sure that he wasn't running in vain. It shows the humility of Paul for one thing. But secondarily, notice what he says there. He says, this is what I'm preaching. He just laid it out. He says, this is the gospel. This is the gospel I'm preaching among the Gentiles. Verse three becomes really important. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. That again seems like a, just a footnote. Who cares? It's, very, it's actually very important. Titus was seen as a fellow minister and when he came with Paul and they were meeting with the apostles, they did not make, they didn't talk at all about Titus needing to be circumcised. It's actually a very important note for what will happen next. It says, even though he was a Greek. Verse four, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. Okay, so the scenario is that even there in Jerusalem, that's kind of the context that we get, even there in Jerusalem there were those who had slipped into the church and were attempting to backpedal excuse me, backpedal the gospel from, from being about the freedom back into slavery. And Paul is using those words specifically. He was saying there were people there who were trying to figure out how to go against this gospel of Christ, this freedom that they had. Now notice there it says freedom in Christ. This was something that they wanted to look into, they wanted to figure out because... They basically wanted to combat it. These were bad agents. And in fact, in other epistles, they would call these people who were doing this wolves. They were the ones who were coming in to try to change that gospel that was being taught. Verse five, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Verse six, for those who seemed to be influential, again, talking about the apostles, what, they're, what they, this, the parenthetical statement makes it even better. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. So that tells you what Paul looks at as far as titles go. Uh, even to Peter, who's supposed to be the first pope. Goodness. Um, but anyway. Shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Added nothing to me. What does that mean? They heard the gospel that was being preached. He brought a Gentile with him. He combated those who were nuancing the gospel away from the, the gospel of Christ. And those who seemed influential, the apostles, didn't change anything. They didn't say, Paul, you may want to 
emphasize this. You may want to add that you're forgetting this part of the gospel. Nothing. They said they added nothing to me. Didn't change a thing. Verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel of the circumcised, verse 8, for he who worked through Peter was in his apostolic ministry to circumcision worked also through me in mind to the Gentiles. Verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars and perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they, uh, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So going to Acts chapter 15, this is the longer version of that whole story. Now this is actually a pretty intense counsel. We're not going to go all the way through it. But the, the details are added here. So, so Luke, the historian, uh, he, he is the one who records the counsel in, in more detail. Uh, verses 1 and 2, some men came down from Judea uh, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This would have been those who were coming into, you know, they're weaseling their way in. Or I guess if we want to keep the same metaphor, they're wolfing their way in, right? To uh, try to rob the churches of their freedom in Christ. They were saying you have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. Which would mean children would have had to have been circumcised on the eighth day, boys. And proselytes, those who had come to faith, would have to have been circumcised when they came to faith. And they're making this a really big deal. This was important. Circumcision for the Jews was how you were showing that sign of being included in the covenant. So it was a pretty big deal. And yet, you have Titus there. They don't seem to even care. The apostles, or as Paul would say, those who seemed influential, didn't seem to care that Titus was a Gentile, was un uncircumcised. And so you have this whole council where basically they're dealing with this issue. If the Gentiles come to faith, what do we do? What was the answer? You get to the end. So the very end of the council portion of this is, let me see, verse 22 through 29. This is sort of the end here. Um, so if you, if you in your in time, you should read through chapter 15 to really get some of the longer context. But basically they say, what should we add to the gospel? And they say, nothing. There's nothing to add. But what they did say was just remind them two things. Two things. To not eat meat from animals that are strangled, issues of blood, and to not engage in sexual immorality. Both of those things were common to occultic, to pagan, to uh, mystery religion practice throughout, the, throughout all the different areas of the Gentiles. These practices were, were done in that way. So don't do those things. Don't engage in those things. Just like we talked about when we were going through Daniel, a lot of these things may have been part of normal everyday thing that they were, they were a part of. Depending on where they worked and what job they had, what title they had, what things they did, they may have been engaged in some of those things. They said you're to abstain from those. That was the reminder. That was it. 
And then in Galatians, it seems like they told Paul specifically, remember the poor. Now, why would they tell Paul specifically, remember the poor? This is one of those things, if Paul is going to the Gentiles, if Paul is bringing the gospel there, the reminder would be, remember, that the same concepts and ideas that we have for the oppressed here, no matter what culture you go into, wherever you go, whatever the Gentiles are doing, they also must be included. It's just a reminder. It wasn't as though Paul did anything wrong. It's just a reminder, remember the poor. And Paul's like, great, that's what I want to do. And so did, was there any change? Did they change the gospel at all? Was there anything that was modified? Not at all. So Paul had been trained for three years and ministering for another 14 years based on the revelation that he had received from Jesus Christ. And was anything different? No. And that's the important part is that the apostles had been called by Jesus himself. So had Paul. The apostles had been with Jesus and learned what it was to walk in the righteousness of the kingdom. So did Paul. But they didn't, it's not as though he went to the apostles and they didn't compare notes and then he went off. Because then at that point, what Paul would be doing would be he would be subservient to this other organized group. This, this whole structure here, this, this is one of the reasons why Luther loved this letter, is that it shatters the concept and the idea that the church is meant to be a structure of authority on earth earth like every other authority it's not meant to replace a government here on earth it's not meant to replace all those different things this the church is meant to be a family with christ as its head it's meant to be a nation of priests with christ as the high priest it's meant to be a kingdom awaiting the setup of the kingdom with christ as king there is no part of this no aspect of this that is based on man or is based on man's teaching. Now, later on in Galatians, it's not super specific here, but later on in Galatians, there's going to be much more conversation concerning the law and freedom in Christ, this kind of idea, the grace that has come, right? This thing that these had come in to try to pull them away from. There's going to be much more discussion there about that. So it leads us to us. Now, we can look at this and say, well, Circumcision is not that big of a deal, right? That's not our issue of the day. And that makes it easier for us to take this and to say, well, we aren't foolish like the Galatians. We aren't foolish like those other churches, are we? We don't do that. That's silly. We would never, we would never follow after man's gospel. Can you believe it? Sure glad that we're not like those Galatians. Lord, thank you that we're not like these dirty Galatians who seek after other gospels. Thank you, God, that you made us different. What does that sound like? What? It sounds like the Pharisees. Our issues are different. What we look at, it's not circumcision. Not a big deal to us. But it might be something else. So here's where I break the other rule that you normally have with preaching. There's no application. There's no application. Do you know why? I want to warn you about applications. There are a lot of us who come to the gathering, want to hear from God's word, but you think it's not a good time spent 
if you don't get a good application? Why? What is an, applica what is an application do for us? What does an application do? What, what, what do we get with an application? Something to do. So we come to church so that we can get something to do. Why do we do that thing? Self-help? Why do we get something to do? Why do we want something to do? At the end of the day, we are, we are, people, we are humans who want to be told something to do. We are all naturally worshipers. We naturally respond to those things. It is the beginning of legalism. The same legalism that Paul was battling at that time. Now, I'm not accusing any of us this way. It's just more shocking if I don't do an application, right? So. But the concept is there. If the, and this is something that I can't talk to you about from up here. This is something that you will have to talk to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord about in here. Are you coming to church so that you can hear something to do so that if you do it, you feel good? You feel like you've done the gospel? I gospeled this week. I fulfilled the application that was given to me the previous week. Are we looking for that? Because you know what that is? What is, what is that categorically based on this story that we got from Paul? What is that? What kind of gospel is that? Workspace, which another way to say it would be, it's a gospel from who? It's a gospel from men. Our issue is not circumcision. Our issue is anything else we would add to the gospel to make ourselves feel better when we come back the next week. That is our issue. And it could be different. But it's the one that's easiest for us to fall into. It's easiest for us to fall into this trap where as long as we do kind of do those things, we fall through this stuff, now we got the gospel. No, we don't. That's not the gospel. If we're to come and to hear God's word and we hear that Jesus Christ is king above all and we give glory to him, that's the point. The point of the gospel is to be laser focused on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who is the other. He's not man. He's the God man. But he came from somewhere else. Remember John chapter 1, he was the word, he was there in the beginning. He's an eternal being. He is the laser focus of the gospel. So what does Jesus invite us to do? If you go to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus invites us. This is our application for every day. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 says, Every day we are to die to ourselves, take up our cross, Follow him. If you die to yourself, it's very hard to follow a man's gospel. If you set those things aside, if you actually regard yourself as dead, it's very, going to be very difficult to be legalistic or to follow in legalistic practice. Because every day we are supposed to remind ourselves that we are dead. And if we are dead, so is our neighbor, so is the person sitting next to you. The, all of us who follow Christ, we are by quality dead. Dead to sin. Dead to the life that we lived. Dead to those principles that we used to live by. We instead follow this eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, which is going to call us to do crazy things. 
because of the reality of who Jesus is. It's not a plug and play life. You can't show up and get an application, just go do that thing and feel like you're good. We're good, God. I did my thing. Are we followers of the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ? Our application is to think through this idea of dying to yourself, that we would not follow in a man's gospel, that we would actually take up the cross, that we would follow Jesus, that we would think through the ramifications of that kind of gospel. And if it's anything less, it's not the gospel. You add anything to it, it's not the good news. That's not it. If it's anything other, following Jesus Christ in our every day to what he has called us to do, to do the hard things that he's calling us to do, to have the hard conversations that we know we have to have. Some of those conversations that lead to broken friendships because we have shared the truth. Because we know we need to. I can't tell you to do that. I can't tell you what that is. In the same way that the apostles didn't tell Paul what to do, Paul followed Jesus Christ. He was affirmed by the apostles later that yes, that is what you should do. He was encouraged, yes, that's what you should do. But he followed Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. That is the true gospel given by God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that you provide for us examples in Scripture. Thank you for Paul, who tells us through testimony of his own life what the gospel means for him, how he was led by Jesus. Father, thank you that you have given your son. Thank you for the eternal gospel. Thank you that you have given to us this relationship with you and relationship with your son that we might be able to follow you. Not a list of demands, not a list of commandments, not a checklist, not a three-point application from a sermon. You have called us to do the hard work of seeking you taking up our cross and following you that we might fulfill the one true gospel not given by man that we might follow you all the days of our life. Lord, I pray that you would allow us as sheep of your flock to hear your voice clearly that we might move when you call us to move to stay when you call us to stay but that we would learn to follow the shepherd's voice that we might go and fulfill the things you've called us to do so that when you return, you might see us as your faithful servants. Lord, I pray this for every single person, every single member of Refuge, Lord, I pray that we very first would follow after you, follow after the true gospel, not look at each other just to make sure that we're not as bad as somebody else, that we would drop all those comparisons and instead focus completely upon you, upon your son. Lord, that we might be found to be faithful. 
wherever that might lead us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.